This morning, I am going to be speaking on the subject, the neutering of the scriptures. The neutering of the scriptures. I could have been more blunt and said the castration of the scriptures. But being tactful, as I normally am, I chose the term, the neutering of the scriptures. Now, why am I talking on that subject? Because Jesus Christ said, not one jot or tittle of the law, the smallest dot in the vowels of the Hebrew alphabet, will pass away until everything has reached its consummation. I tell you, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven, says the scripture repeatedly. More than 3,000 times the writers of the Bible affirm their messages came from God and the consistency of it down through the ages, spanning almost three and a half thousand years, should lead us to confidence that God has spoken. For no word of God or prophetic utterance, says Peter, ever came by the will of man or by the desire of somebody to get it out or make the point. But holy men of God spoke, or if you wish, wrote, as they were borne along or carried along, the picture is, in the language, by the wind of the Holy Spirit, by the power, presence of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. So, it is the Spirit of God that inspires the Word of God. And when Jesus, in John chapter 17, prayed, he said in verse 17, Sanctify them, or set them apart, that's the church, through thy truth. Thy word is true. Now, the whole New Testament record is founded on this premise, the scriptures. They cannot be broken. That's Christ. We cannot afford to have any view of the scripture which is inferior to the view held by Jesus Christ. We must have his view of scripture. And his was the highest view of Scripture. Old Testament Scripture and Scripture which was to come. For he well knew that the New Testament would be produced and that we would be able to live by his teachings and by what the apostles recorded. Surely he knew this, he could see down through the ages. So, I begin with the premise that if you're going to call yourself a Christian, Seriously, you had better call yourself a Christian within the context of your absolute submission to the total authority of the Word of God. You are not at liberty to pick and choose what you want. You are not at liberty to let your emotion and your corrupt reason, logic, and human nature dictate what God does. You are to submit yourself to what he says, whether you like it or not. Whether I like it or not. There are things in the Bible I don't like. You say, really? What are they? 
I don't like the idea of eternal punishment. I never have. I suppose I developed a dislike when I had to entertain the prospect personally. Then immediately I disliked it. I have never lost my dislike for the idea of everlasting punishment. But whether I like it or not, Jesus said, these shall go away to everlasting punishment and the righteous unto life eternal. Therefore, if he said it, I will believe it. I will submit to it because he is my Lord. Now, the Christian begins with the premise of the absolute, unchallengeable authority of Jesus Christ. If you do not have that, you will be tossed about by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning craftiness of men who lie in wait for the purpose of deception. You will be vulnerable to deceiving spirits, lying wonders and miracles. You will be invaded in your life by the world of experience rather than testing all experience by Scripture. That is why the basic premise must be established. Jesus Christ, the living word, authenticated and established the written word. And we accept it as believers. Now, today, the Christian church, by and large, in many areas, is in deep and growing apostasy. I am not an alarmist. I am not paranoid on the subject. All one needs to do is to read the literature of the major denominations to recognize that they have already abandoned the basic premise that I just laid down. It is no longer what Scripture says. It is what the theologians say the Scripture says. What Niebuhr says, what Tillich says, what Bultmann says, what Penenberg says, what Chirabi says, what Kuhn says. That is what has become Scripture to the denominational theologians and to a large segment of the professing Christian church. The sheep are sitting there getting spoon-fed the most damnable heresies in the history of Christendom, and it's all being done with the robes and the incense and the projection of Christian ministerial authority. It is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Now, how do I know this is true? Well, just recently the National Council of Churches entered into the castration business. And I use that word very, very advisedly, but permit me to use it very forcefully, because that is exactly what they are doing. They published a 112-page, quote, inclusive, I'm quoting now, inclusive language lectionary. Isn't that very scholarly? It is called the Inclusive Language Lectionary. It is intended for use in Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, and Roman Catholic churches. It is a liturgical lesson for a particular day, and passages are drawn from both the Old and the New Testament. Nothing wrong with liturgy, 
Nothing wrong with passages from the Old and New Testament. Why become upset about something like that? Because it is nothing less than a desecration of the Bible. The purpose of the council, they say, is to eliminate sexism from the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that the Bible was sexist? They say it is. And they are going to eliminate sexism from the Bible. How do they do that? Well, by changing the text of the scripture so that the feminist movement is included everywhere to eliminate sexism. Now, some of you are sitting there smiling at me benevolently, others are scowling, and some look very surprised. Don't be. I have learned a long time ago never to be surprised at the National Council of Churches, because they can utter the most pompous tomfoolery in the name of God that has ever been the misfortune of the church to have to put up with. And this is a good illustration of it. What does this little booklet do that's supposed to guide all the people in the churches to worship? Well, let's look at some practical illustrations. They're going to eliminate all references to gender. Isn't that interesting? All references to gender or to spread the gender around, as James Kilpatrick says in his article on the subject. He says, thus, Jesus is no longer identified as the Son of God, but now he is the child of God. Is that interesting? No more the Son of God, he's the child of God. Let's put that to the test. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten child. That whoever believes in it should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, we know instantly this is nonsense. Nonsense. Because God has other children besides Jesus. The church, through regeneration, has become the family of God. We are the sons and daughters of God, are we not? We are the children of the Most High, as the Scripture says. So if you take John 3.16 and read it the way the National Council would have to read it, you are face to face with the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only child, and the word is monogenes, the only one, the unique one. Ah, but this is a son. No possibility that Messiah could be a woman. Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child person is born. Unto us a child person is given. And the government shall rest upon its shoulders. And its name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of the Everlasting. Excuse me, we can't use it. Father, Mother of the Everlasting. And Ruler of Peace. Can't use the word prince. That's male. Now, I intend this to be sarcastic. I intend it to be humorous. Because the only way you can deal with this awful 
is to bring it out in the open and let people see it for what it really is. It's folk. Because it is attacking at the core the character and nature of Holy Scripture and making the Scripture say what the Scripture does not say. Bruce Metzger, Princeton Theological Seminary, one of the great translators and scholars in Greek of our day, came out flat-footed against this, and he is considered to be somewhat liberal. I don't think he is. I think he's quite conservative, but he came out and flatly denounced this as a violation of the text of the Word of God. It gets even more interesting as you go along. God is referred to as Father, Mother. The word King is replaced by the word Ruler, because you see, the word King eliminates Queen, and the word Father eliminates Mother. So, of course, you don't want to offend her any more than you want to offend him. So, what do you do? You combine both of them into a bastardization of the biblical concept of God. And you say, that's very strong language. I intended to be as strong as possible within the limits of propriety because the time has come to take off the velvet glove with these jokers and let people know what they are really up to. And this is what they are up to. They are up to the perversion of the text of Holy Scripture. Even their own translation, the Revised Standard Version, disagrees with them everywhere. Now, don't tell me that the National Council has not been affected by ERA. Don't tell me they have not been affected by feminism. Because it's clear that they have even gone to the cult for their information. Long before this garbage was printed, Mary Baker Glover Patterson Eddy, in 1875, in the book Science and Health with Key to the Scripture, in her glossary of terminology, identified God as Father-Mother. The National Council has at last come full circle in its agreement with Christian science, which is the diametric opposite of biblical theology. Now, it would be possible to go on discussing their rewriting of the text. But one thing is certain, in neutering the Bible, they are performing the castration of biblical theology. They are doing away with the authority of the Word of God. There's no possible way that we can escape this if we are honest. You say, well, what has this got to do with me as a Christian? The Bible class on Sunday morning, why are we talking about what the National Council of Churches does? Because they speak for more than 40 million people. Because they speak in all the seminaries and all the colleges and the church conferences and the denominations. And because they are influencing people. And if our voice is quiet, they will think that nobody disagrees or they have won the day. Well, let's not give them that opportunity. Let us raise our voices. And let us say, no, no, no.
women's liberation movement argues that our society is predominantly male in its emphasis. Manpower, for instance. Mankind. Man hours of work. And of course, the chairman of the board. And there's objection to this on the basis that, well, what about the women? I would like to know how it is possible to talk about mankind without including women. I would like to know how it's possible to be so naive as to think that if you say chairman, it couldn't be a lady, when your culture is obviously indicative of women occupying positions like this. If you want to say chairperson, fine. If you want to say people hours, great. If you want to call children persons instead of children or boys and girls, wonderful. If that's your bag, welcome to it. But keep your paws out of scripture. That's different. What you say in polite conversation among us is not to be confused with the rewriting of the word of God which is exactly what they are trying to do. And now, of course, let me conclude. Our Father, Mother, which art in heaven. Matthew chapter 5. When you pray, pray after this matter, our Father, Mother. Garbage. Or, John chapter 17, these words spake Jesus and lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, Mother, the hour has come. Glorify thy son as thy son has glorified thee. I know. Sanctify them through thy truth, father and mother. Thy word is truth. No. You see, God is not talked of in the masculine because of sex. God is talked of in the masculine because that is the order of creation. And he identified himself with man as the head of creation. Nothing to do with sex. And the scripture categorically states that women were created for man. Not the reverse. Women came from man. And now they have reversed that so that Man comes from woman by natural process. So there is equation. But the National Council is trying to force us into a mold of rebellion against the authority of the Word of God, and they are using sex as a blind force. Let me conclude. Deuteronomy 4.2. God forbids you to change his word. Add not to his word. Add not to the word which the Lord has spoken, says Moses. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Add not to his word, or what's going to happen? Look at Proverbs 30, verse 6. It's well worth remembering. Add thou not to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you'll be found out to be a liar. The National Council is a liar. People say, why must you be so blunt? Well, in the name of God, somebody's got to be blunt and tell the truth, because this garbage is passing for truth. And if we keep quiet in the midst of it, we are guilty. Therefore, let's speak out. 
When you pray, pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven. When you talk about God, talk about him in the way Jesus said to talk about him, our Father. When you want to talk about the biblical God, then talk about him the way the biblical writers wrote it, and not the way a council of churches, which has sold out to liberal theology and to feminism and ERA, is trying to construe it. In short, let's get back, or shall I say, let's stay with the biblical concept of God, who so loved the world that he sent his only Son to be our Savior. And in that salvation this morning, let us rejoice. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. And he is not to be confused with the chairperson of the universe. You're tuned in with the Underground Christian Network.